All right, I'd like you to take your Bible and go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 11. There's no particular um, reason that I'm teaching this, this passage here. I'm not answering a, a question that was asked of me a little while ago or anything like that. I just really like this passage. I like these books uh, because... Oh, I just messed something up. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Um, there's a really good set of examples here in what is commonly believed to be the Apostle Paul's last letter. It's understood here that he's writing to young Timothy who's about to be a pastor. And as a pastor, this is near and dear to my heart, to my ministry work. There's a lot of things that I continually lean on doctrinally from the book of 2 Timothy. But sometimes people can say, well, then that means uh, it's not really for me, the layman. And then there becomes this weird uh, class system within the church. Well, the pastor does his thing and I do my thing and we don't ever mix and all that. Folks, I'm just like you. You're just like me. We have different responsibilities. Uh, we have different circumstances. We have different grounds that we're planted in, but we're all a part of the same body. And I think the sooner we can all recognize we're working towards a common goal. We're praying for the Lord's return. We're looking for Him to come back. We are faithful with the opportunities that we have. We endure hardness as a good soldier, but we're not hard to each other. You start recognizing these truths that come with being placed in the body of Christ. You'll have a thriving Christian life. It'll be wonderful. You won't have more money in your bank account. You won't have better health, but you'll have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and direct you. There's no place you'd rather be once you experience that. And there's a lot to be taught here in the passage that we're going to look at, but I'm titling this little series that we're doing, Them That Are His. This is based off of verse 19, if you look there for just a moment. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's a two-part statement there with a third uh, guarantee that we'll look at when we get there. But tonight we're going to be focusing on verses 11 through 13. There's some things that are said in verses 3 to 10 that are really for Timothy, and it kind of piggybacks off of what Paul has experienced in his own ministry. But these three verses here reveal a lot of what is instructed for the believer in the next few verses, but let's take a look at verses 11 through 13. It is a faithful saying. Now you're going to see some couplets here, and what that means you'll see an if-then statement. Starts with this first one, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. The second couplet is if we suffer we shall also reign with him. The third is, if we deny him, he will deny us. And I'm sure you have had somebody take that and say, see, you can lose your salvation. But we'll get into all that in a minute here. Verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. I want you to imagine for a second that we have a sandwich here. okay? And we have the first and second couplets and the third and fourth couplets, and they go together on a truth that's established from the first one. The first set 
is also informing the last set, and there's some things in between, but it doesn't change the truth that started from the first one, went to the second, to the third, and is reinsured in the fourth. Ultimately, Paul is going to warn Timothy as he teaches people how they need to avoid wordy debate. And isn't it interesting that most of the intellectualism that is placed on those in our society and in our culture who are really wise comes from their ability to excel in debate. I can think of three people right off the top of my head right now. I can think of Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh. These guys are wordsmiths. <coughs> they talk a lot. And sometimes I, I don't listen to any of those guys anymore, but probably five years ago I did. And I had to listen to Ben Shapiro on half speed. There's a way you can do that in a podcasting app where you can slow him down because I'm trying to follow his line of thinking. But a lot of these people, you see clips of them go viral and they're just, you know, they're owning or roasting or whatever is in the, you know, destroying or whatever these liberal ideologies and things like that. That should not be the talent of the Christian. It doesn't say you're unable to be in a debate, that that's unchristian in and of itself, but that's not the focus. The Christian should be a man of action. He doesn't just blah, 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 blah. He does. You can see the impact by what he does. And there are two fellows here, Hymenius and Philetus. You don't want to name your kids that. If you're thinking about it, move on. That caused, as believers now, they caused people to fall away from doctrinal truth because they did a lot of this. Yep, 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 yep. Paul would teach, he'd write letters, he'd be in the cities, and these guys would come behind and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and all these things, and they started to lead people away from the truth. It was dangerous. That's why Paul says in verses 11, 12, and 13, there is a plea to stay faithful. And there are some if-then statements that I think we would benefit from. Let's look at this first one here. Verse 11, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. The believer is indeed dead and therefore will be alive with Jesus. Now you may say, hang on a second. I'm here tonight. I am alive and well. You have the opportunity through progressive sanctification and through the death of Jesus Christ to die to the power of sin. This is the Christian life. There are, you, know, you were saved from the penalty of sin when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And when you die, you'll be saved from the presence of sin because you'll be with the Lord and be like him. But right now, we can still serve sin in its power. Penalty, power, and presence. The last two are guaranteed. You can have guaranteed success over sin now, but it's something that you have to choose by walking in the Spirit. And what is being warned here to, these, to Timothy to tell those who are in his ministry is, remember what we've been delivered from. Now there's a statement here, that, statement here that says, if. And it would almost seem as though now it's conditional. There may be some believers who are not dead with him and did not rise with him. But Paul is arguing from an established truth. He's highlighting the fact that this should be known already. So hold your spot here and go to Colossians chapter 3, where we see that truth already established. 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is on page 1264. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are. Now this is different. It was just said in 2 Timothy 2.11, if we be dead with him. We know he's not arguing from something that's conditional that may apply to one set of believers and not to another because of this verse here. Ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Isn't that good to know? Look in Romans chapter 6 in verses 6 through 9. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Page 1198. Knowing this, that our old man, our old nature, the nature we're born with, that little that pesky little gift that was given to us all the way back from the garden, that old man is crucified with him, him being Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Is the body of sin destroyed now? No, you're living in it. We all know it. That's something that's going to happen in the future. But he was crucified on the cross, meaning that even though... We still live in the old man. We still have this body affected by sin. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and his resurrection, we're going to have one of those too, a brand new body which cannot sin. That henceforth, that future glorification should encourage us now, henceforth, now, we should not serve sin I want people that teach this weird, unbiblical idea that the believer does no sin and they just kind of float around and just move on the ethereal current of God's breath to take a look at what this says here. There is a command that we should not serve sin. The fact that there is a command tells us this is something that people are disobeying. There are believers who are sealed, who do have a guaranteed glorified body waiting for them, who are living in sin. Don't do that. That's a no-no. Look what it says in verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now you, as a believer, have the opportunity to serve God with the pureness of conscience out of full love and full joy because you've been delivered from that sin. What a shame, what a tragedy, what a spitting of, it, of, of our free will in God's face to say, I'm going to choose to serve sin. should not be that way. Sadly, it is. Verse 8, now, if we be dead with Christ, there's that phrase again, we believe that we shall also live with him. It's just a matter of time, folks. It's just a matter of time until you will be with the Lord. And when you are with him, you will have, I don't want to make it in this sense, but from what we're talking about, you won't have the opportunity to serve him as you do here. This very precious amount of time that we have, even if it's only until tonight, this precious time that we have, let us not waste it. (coughs) Excuse me. 
Remember James's warning. To him that knoweth good, but doeth it not, to him that is sin. It's not just the sin of commission. It's when we choose not to do what is right. Verse 9, last one here. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Hallelujah. I'm going to die once. And then I'll live forever. Now, we might be a part of that group that is transformed. Never know. But we could be. Death hath no more dominion over him. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. The believer can rejoice knowing that everything regarding his salvation is secured. He can look to the resurrection of Jesus as the guarantee that he will live in eternity with him. Now, there's that second couplet there in verse 11. Or excuse me, verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Now, this is different. Okay, we've moved past what Paul has established in verse 11, where he says, those who have basically trusted in Christ, dead to sin, we're going to be alive with him because of the promises that come with that. But now we're turning our focus, still dealing with believers, but now believers who suffer either persecution or the temptation to sin, they suffer for the Lord. They don't fall into that sin. They don't apostatize from the faith. This is very prevalent to Timothy. Here's young Timothy dealing with Jews and Gentiles. What's the temptation for Jews? Go back to the Mosaic law. Go back to the sacrifices. Go back to the temple practices, which Hebrews says is wrong for the believer because they now say that those things, the ceremonies, the rites, and the traditions, are more precious and have more saving power than Jesus. That's a heresy. But Jews were doing that. And we have not experienced this yet in our country, but there have been some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have spilled their blood for their faith. They will reign with Christ in a more active way than the believer who abandons this life to carnality or chooses to appease himself in the face of persecution. Now you may say, hang on a second. Where can we see that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. We'll take a look at a couple of things here. But first, this is not to say that unfaithful believers would not be with Jesus at the rapture. That's a very prominent teaching. Yes, the rapture is coming. No, not every believer is going because only the faithful ones are going to go. That, we don't see that in the scripture. We see a rewarding stand, which brings the severity of a loss of opportunity the opportunity cost of serving sin and serving ourselves here, we miss out on rewards. But the Bible tells us very plainly that when the Lord comes back at the rapture, all are going and they will never be separated from the Lord. I want you to see that. It's just a couple books over to the left here. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 17 through 18. Page 1269, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, that's where we get the word rapture from, caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and please mark this, and so shall we ever 
be with the Lord. Wherefore, in light of verses 13 through 18, comfort one another with these words in verses 13 through 17, excuse me. And what is a comfort of that statement? When you get raptured, you will be with the Lord forever. There is no separation coming. There is no punishment a thousand years during the millennium where you don't get to be with Jesus because you didn't serve him here in this life. You're going to miss out on rewards, and there are going to be believers who serve with more responsibility because they were given a little and much was, um, of, was given back. And they're going to be rewarded for that. That's a personal thing. But if we suffer, as that verse tells us, we're going to reign with him in that active way. I wrote this down. The teaching that all believers will remain faithful is not found in the scriptures. And that may be a surprise to you. But let 1 Thessalonians go and hang on to 2 Timothy there. Look in Hebrews real quick. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Hebrews, one of those books. There are many emails that have come across my uh, computer that, that use Hebrews as a defense for losing salvation. When that's not what is in focus, what is in focus is robbing yourself of the blessing and rest that you have here. And that doesn't mean you sleep all the time, by the way. It doesn't mean, it's, oh, my life has to be you know, relaxing. It's a mental rest. It's a spiritual rest through a a life that may be very turbulent. But you have inner peace because you know how this all shakes out and you know who you're doing it for and that person who's Jesus Christ will not deny you. Verse 12, take heed, take warning, brethren. Page 1293, Hebrews 3.12. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, That is how the Bible characterizes unbelief. It's evil. The evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So does this mean that you can choose out of your own will to remove yourself from God? You sure can remove yourself from his presence and from the opportunity to be blessed, but you can't take yourself out of the family. I mean, you know, kids try to run away all the time. They end up in somebody's custody. And some parent goes down and gets them there. And even if they can go to court and through emancipation remove themselves legally outside of their family, that does not change who they are. They're still the child of their mother and father. And it's the same thing with the child of God. The evil heart of unbelief is how you can choose to walk away from the Lord in disobedience. And you'll rob yourself of the opportunity to reign in an active way with him. You'll be given less because you did less. That doesn't mean heaven's going to be terrible, that you're going to be filled with regret. We know in the new heaven and new earth, all those things are passed away. And the light of the the lamb is the light. There is no need for the sun. Amen? The S-U-N. We got the S-O-N. But God expects his children to be faithful and use what he has given them to produce more fruit. We're not going to go back to 2 Timothy because we don't have time to get there, but we are going to look at this parable in Luke. Look over in Luke chapter 19, so you can let the fingers that we're holding, 2 Timothy, give them a break. They've been doing some hard work. And go to Luke chapter 19. Jesus here is at Zacchaeus' house. 
And he gives a parable that he will later repeat in a different way with different emphasis at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew. But he says this in Luke chapter 19 and verse 11, And as they heard these things, this is page 1102, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. That is a very important verse. That tells you the purpose of this parable. So from interpretation purpose, he's going to Jerusalem. Many people are thinking he's going to come and, and, and establish his kingdom now. He's going to deliver us from Roman oppression. So he's going to teach him something here, but then there's also some other teaching in there. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a certain noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. This is a picture of Jesus going in to receive Israel as his own, but he's going to withdraw himself for a time and return for a later time. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money and he might know how much every man had gained by trading. There was an expectation in this parable for those servants who received those 10 pounds or however much they received to go and invest that to bring back more when their, their uh, master would come back and rule and reign. You can probably see the imagery lining up. Verse 16, Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, thou have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. What do we see here? These servants who were faithful to what the Lord gave them were rewarded accordingly. You can see a lot of imagery here <coughs> to how God is going to reward us at the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the direct interpretation of this passage, but I do think it's a healthy application. Now take a look at this next one, verse 20. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. What, is, what, what happened with this guy? Well, he received what the, what the master had given him, and he decided, I'm not going to invest it, I'm going to keep it. And he gives you a reason here in verse 21. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. That means a sharp man, a difficult man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he, the master, saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. You want to see some teaching here from Jesus, some master teaching? Look at what is revealed here. Thou wicked servant, thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping what I did not sow. When, uh, wherefore, then gavest not thou money into the bank? that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. It means with interest. He's saying, if you really believed what you just told me, you would have still invested the money knowing I would have had that standard for you. That's pretty interesting. A lot of people think that this servant is a picture of an unprofitable servant, a servant of God, but one who is not a part of God's family because they reject the Messiah, which would define the Jew saying you are taking what is not yours, whatever it may be. And the master in this parable says, 
If those things were true and you knew them, you still would have done something with what I gave you. Boy, if this is not a wake-up call, if this is not a reminder that we will be held accountable for what we choose to do with this life, I don't know what else is. Some very powerful teaching here about the expectations with what God has given us. Verse 24, And he said unto them uh, that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. Now some would say, well, hang on a second, that doesn't sound fair. It's perfectly fair. The one who did the most work and was the most obedient with the opportunity, and he took advantage of the opportunities he had to bring back the master interest in what he had gave him, he's going to get more. This is why I, 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 I tell you very firmly, the opportunity we have here on the earth to serve the Lord is incredibly important. This is not to uh, lift anyone up in pride tonight, but you think of someone like Dr. Arnold. He's 80-something years old, and he's getting ready to go around the country to do the, what people would say, the same old thing, the same old wallet thing. He's not doing it so that I can say, well done, Dr. Arnold. He's not doing it so his wife can say, good job. He's serving the Lord who will reward him faithfully. God knows his heart. He knows mine too. He knows yours as well. Think of someone like Dr. Lindstrom, who did not expect to pass away, yet he was faithful to the very end. No scandal. Think of someone else like um, Scudder Sr., who passed away in, in 2020. No scandal. A man of the world would say simplicity, but he built a great ministry there in Chicago. We have somebody here tonight, James, who was a product of that man's faithfulness to the Lord. Dr. Scudder will receive a reward from the Lord, but he did not waste his time. And if we can think we can drag our feet because it's not fair, whatever, whatever we want to blame our conditions on and say, well, that's why I'm not going to serve God. Careful, because if you really think that he's some difficult and vengeful God, then what are you doing dragging your feet? If you think he's not full of grace, you think he's going to be full of grace at the judgment seat of Christ? Obviously, the intention here is not to paint God as some maniacal, wicked God. He's full of love and compassion. How many times does the scripture encourage us to lean into him and not into ourselves? If you choose to lean into yourself, that's a choice that you make. You need to have a change of mind and then change your action. This is very important for the Christian life. Verse 25, and they said unto him, Lord, he hath 10 pounds. Verse 26, for I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given and from him that hath not every one uh, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now, 27 is important because of verse 11, because of what Israel was about to do. Israel as a nation was about to say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And that's exactly what happened. And when the Lord comes back, if there's anybody who remains as an unbeliever, they will be slain by the Lord. And that is the choice that they have made. How blessed it is to know you're a part of that body of Christ. Amen? We should not take this placement in Christ for granted. Romans 6, as we just saw, we should not live unto sin. Oh, I really want to keep going. But we'll stop there. You better be here next week, you know? It'll be good. 
You can close your Bibles, look up here for a moment. I want to share with you the best news in all the world. This hand to represent you and me, my block of sin to represent just that, a block of sin. Put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from him. Perfection is required to get into heaven, not good deeds, not turning from sin, not being the best version of ourselves, or giving money or faithfulness to a religion. Those things don't save you. Those are good works. You have to be perfect. And the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. No good works can save us, yet that's what man is continually trying to do because man is so deceived by his own pride to think that he can do what only the blood of Christ could do. But some people don't know that. They were raised in deception. So how can we pay for this sin if there's no good works that we can do? Doesn't that mean that we would just end up eternally separated from God? Well, God loves us and he provided his son. I'll let this hand represent Jesus Christ, the son of God, fully God and fully man. He provided Jesus to take our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation occurs when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who shed his blood and was buried and rose again three days later, that that same Jesus died to pay for your sin. In an instant, you are justified, you are redeemed, you are sealed, you are born again, and 60 other things that happen the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And once you are saved, it's an eternal thing. It can never be changed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, knives are closed. If you're watching on the internet tonight, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're watching and you're, you're in a state of unbelief. You've trusted in yourself. You've trusted in your family's religion. You've trusted in your good works to get you to heaven. I implore you right now to change your mind and put your trust in Jesus Christ that what Jesus did on the cross paid for all of your sin. Friend, the moment that you do that, Jesus said that you're passed from death into life and you'll never be brought into condemnation again. If you did trust Christ tonight, would you let us know? Send us an email, click the button on the screen, write a comment. We'll be more than happy to reach out to you. For those of us here in the audience tonight, let us remember the importance of serving the Lord. I encourage you to continue um, as you can to be here as we study the word together. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight. Bring us back here safely for worship on Sunday morning. We praise you for all that you have done. And as we wait, Lord, for different needs and requests, let us wait with joy, knowing that we have everything we could ever ask for in your son. In his name, we pray these things. Amen.